Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. In today's episode, we're picking up where we left off last week, talking about the king's of Numenor, and we're getting very close to the end of the Second Age, and to the last of the line of kings. Last week we mentioned how there was still a part of the descendants that were elf friends. They were on the side of what we understand to be good, keeping in line with the Valar, befriending the elves but that the main line of kings were moving further and further away from this. And we have, in this situation, a ruler who gives us an opportunity to go back to the good ways, to go back to the old ways, to transition to a different kind of world from where things were going. And there's a lot of interesting points here that I, I find similar to other things. And today we're kind of standing in this windy desert. And I know the island of Numenor didn't have deserts in it, but there's a lot of what happens in Numenorean culture and the uh, uh, clearly the inspiration for a lot of this comes from the line of pharaohs. And in the line of pharaohs, there is a pharaoh who broke away from the rest of the pharaohs in order to try to do things different. The Egyptians for generations were polytheists, worshipping multiple gods. And then along comes Akhenaten, the 10th ruler of the 18th dynasty in Egypt. This is back in 1353 BC. He decides that society is going to change, that the Egyptians will worship a single god, a sun god. He creates a new capital. He makes sweeping changes across Egypt. And then after his death, everything goes back to the way it was, and they try to erase him from history. And I'm not saying here that one god is better than multiple gods. I'm not making any judgments on Egyptian culture or on history and the way that that works. But what I want you to see here are the parallels between the way the culture was going and then somebody saying, hold up, we're going we're gonna to go do this a different way. And then that not working. Because that's where we're at in the story of Numenor. And maybe I buried the lead a little bit here, but this wouldn't be in classic Tolkien fashion unless I told you what was going to happen before it happened. And we all know Numenor sinks. We all know it doesn't survive into the third age of the world. And we all know that the kings eventually become so corrupt that they are played by Sauron. And this is the story of how that begins to happen.
So if you recall from last week, we were talking about Lady Inzelbeth, who was secretly one of the elf friends. And then she had to marry our Gimelzor, who was clearly not. He was of the line of kings who were moving further and further away from the advice of the elves and worshipping the Valar. And they had two sons, Inzaladin and Gimelcad. Inzaladin is the older and the one that takes after his mother and is an elf friend. Gimelcad is more like his father. And in this situation, when Gimelzor passes on and yields his scepter up, he has to give it to the older son who he has less in common with. And for the first time in generations, we end up with a king of Numenor who is an elf friend again. And this is a problem because there is a large faction of people and politicians and wealthy people and all sorts of people who are going to be upset with the fact that this king is going back to the old ways. And that is proved by the fact that he takes one of the old names using Elvin. He calls himself Tar Palantir. And if that sounds familiar, it should, because Palantir, like the Palantiri, a far-sighted tool something that you can see for far distances or to other places. And the idea there was that that name represented the fact that he was also wise. He was farsighted, it says in the text, both in eye and in mind. And even those that hated him feared his words as those of a true seer. They knew in some, on some level that he was right, but they didn't like it. So they didn't like him. So he brought back, first of all, safety for people who were friends of the elves. They couldn't be persecuted. He continued or brought back worship of Eru on Menotarma, which Gimelzor had forsaken. He was no longer doing that. And then he started tending to the white tree again, which was a first. So this in that parallel that I mentioned at the beginning is kind of like almost like a foreign religion at this point. It is the religion of the past, but it has been so thrown out by this point that taking everything from the direction it was going and saying, hold on, we're going to go do this now is in my mind, similar to the example I, I made at the beginning. He also is the one who prophesied, and this is part of the name Tar Palantir, that when the tree perished, the line of kings would also come to its end. And he did all of this in order to try to put things back on track, but it didn't work. And this is interesting. It says here, but his repentance was too late to appease the anger of the Valar with the insolence of his fathers, of which the greater part of his people did not repent. And I think there's something key there. First of all, you, the first response I have is, Man, the Valar, uh, don't they want to forgive them? He's doing his best. He's trying to do what's right. Wouldn't they be forgiving of that? And I think the key here is the fact that it didn't matter so much that the king made the turn back. It's that the majority of the people did not repent. And so that was a problem. And then this happens. 
according to the text, and Gimelcad was strong and ungentle. I love that, ungentle. And he took the leadership of those that had been called the king's men and opposed the will of his brother as openly as he dared, and yet more in secret. And this was a problem for Tar Palantir. He understood that he was in the minority and that he did not have the sway of this group of people. And there wasn't a whole lot he could do about it. He spent a lot of time on the westward part of the island, up in a tower, looking to the sea, hoping that the Valar or some elves would show up. But no more, no more would they come to the shores. And then something happened that may seem like an opportunity for Tarpau and Tyr. Gimelcad dies two years before his 200th year. And this is a short life at this point. Even for those in the line that was waning, this would be considered a very early death. And yet it did not bring any any peace for the king because Gimelcad had a son. And when you live to be 200 years old and you have children, those children are clearly adults and clearly capable by the time their fathers pass away. This son would be known as Pharazon. And I think that that's another one of those links to Egypt because it, it sounds almost like Pharaoh, Pharazon. Almost, it actually sounds like Pharaoh and Amazon put together, which is a little odd, but we'll dig into that in the bonus episode. And Pharazon was worse than his father. Quote, he had fared often abroad as a leader in the wars that the Numenorians made then in the coastlines of Middle-earth, seeking to extend their domain over men. And thus he had won great renown as a captain, both by land and by sea. Therefore, when he came back to Numenor, hearing of his father's death, the hearts of the people were turned to him, for he brought with him great wealth and was for the time free in his giving. He was using his political clout, his role as the son of the prince who just passed away and his success, his popularity and his wealth in order to further sway the people to his side. And over time, Tar Palantir being older than Farazan would eventually reach the end of his life as well. Tar Palantir had no son, only a daughter who he named Muriel in the elven tongue. Now, if you've seen the Rings of Power, you might recognize Tar Palantir and Muriel. These are the characters that we see in Numenor. We meet Muriel. We meet Tar Palantir. And the series takes some liberties with these characters, of course. But these are, I guess, the template that the, the series is playing off of here. And Muriel, and I don't have an explanation for this because it's not in the text, ends up having to marry Farazan. She is the rightful ruler based on the laws of the Numenorians and the passing down of the scepter. But Farazan takes her to wife against her will, and that's a quote, doing evil in this and also evil in that the laws of Numenor did not permit the marriage, even in the royal house of those more nearly akin than cousins in the second degree. 
They were too closely related to supposed to be able to get married. And somehow Farazan could demand this of her, even though her station was technically higher. And Tolkien doesn't explain this here. And maybe this is something I'll dig into in the bonus episode as well, because I don't want to get caught up on this, because what's important here is what happens next. For some reason, once they were married, he could claim the scepter potentially being the husband in the marriage. Maybe the male in a marriage has priority over the female when both of them come from the same bloodline. I don't know. But for some reason, that was justified. And he took the title Ar Farazan. He should have been called Tarkalian in the elven tongue. But no, Tar Farazan. And this is symbolic. Farazan means golden. He took the title of the Golden instead of Tarkalian, the Elven, which doesn't mean golden. It actually means son of light. And this is symbolic. He gives up the bringing back of light to Numenor in order to seek riches for himself instead. And that's exactly what happens. Now, clearly, he was already in the camp of the king's men. He was not an elf friend. And the idea that he would somehow all of a sudden turn and change his opinion on this was very unlikely. But the fact that that his actual name should have been Son of Light and he takes on Farazan instead is telling. Tolkien also tells us this, quote, the mightiest and proudest was our Farazan, the golden of all those that had wielded the scepter of the sea kings since the foundation of Numenor. And three and twenty kings and queens had ruled the Numenorians before and slept now in their deep tombs under the Mount of Meneltarma, lying upon beds of gold. The idea of so many kings and queens buried in their tombs with their gold, not only matches real world history where rulers were buried with not only tools and items and things that they could use in the afterlife, but gold and wealth as well, because somehow that would still be needed and valuable when the people around them are living in squalor and that gold could have been used for many other things. That's kind of the, the feel of this. And with that knowledge, we have our Farazan who is seeking even more power and wealth for himself in ways worse than anyone else before him. And then we're told this, And sitting upon his carven throne in the city of Armenelos, in the glory of his power, he brooded darkly, thinking of war. For he had learned in Middle-earth of the strength of the realm of Sauron, and of his hatred of westerness. And now there came to him the masters of ships and captains returning out of the east, and they reported that Sauron was putting forth his might since our Farazan had gone back from Middle-earth, and he was pressing down upon the cities by the coasts, and he had taken now the title of king of men and declared his purpose to drive the Numenorians into the sea and destroy even Numenor, if that might be. Our Farazan was a prideful man, and the idea that Sauron would dare to show back up and oppose him as the king of men, well, that just wasn't going to do. 
that title was for him alone. And he got it in his head that he was going to build an army and take it directly to Sauron himself and put Sauron in his place. And this leads to one of the most unexpected situations I think we've seen yet. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed the episodes while I was gone. Uh, I, I thought they were pretty interesting. And um, I enjoyed uh, putting together the Oedipus one. It's always cool to dig into mythologies and old stories and, and look for the things that are similar and that are different. Uh, but I had a great vacation, had a, had a good time off and back to the regular stuff. So I got to catch up on some of our patrons. And oh, by the way, if Patreon's being weird, they were having a problem with like processing payment because the payment partner was messed up or anything just try try using a different credit card or try submitting it again it should work out now uh, so if that was an issue in the last week or so they put out a statement saying hey we're sorry this is kind of on us see try to try to do it again it should work so anyway just wanted to let you know but welcome to our new patrons aaron s fred m trent b uh gotta scroll up the page here nicholas f and Wanda D and Darren L. Welcome to the Patreon, everybody. And shout outs to our VIP patrons, AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker, Austin C, Azel Razzle, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, David S, David M, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gavin Olaf, Jesse P, Katie S, Capenna, Michael E, Nick K, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Rivqua, Sam B, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, Tour Son of Whore, uh, Ty, Tyler M, I'm running out of breath, <laughs> Wes P, and Who Let the Juan Out. Holy moly. Thank you to everybody, all 174 of the patrons who help support the show currently. You are amazing. Also, we have some new reviews. Oh, by the way, patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast is where you can go sign up. So go check that out for all the cool stuff you can get. All right. Two new reviews came in. This one from Pethem F. Wingfeather. I'm pretty sure reviewed some of my other shows before. Uh, great show. This is not. I think that was a typo because I think you're trying to do like a Yoda voice thing, but 
that would mean this is not a great show, although it's five stars. So I'm a little confused, but the rest of it sounds good. So it says, caution, please read this in Yoda voice. I can't do a Yoda voice. I can do other voices, but I, I can do Gollum, but I can't do Yoda. Uh, awesome, stupendous, amazing show this is. Always want to know LOTR lore I did. Never got hold of the books I did. Seems like a book I want to own it is. Hobbit companion only I have, which useless it is if read The Hobbit I have not. Presented a good show, Robots has thank you ps will you read the wing feather saga and make a lore cast out of that beat you to it words are hard uh i don't even know what that is uh i'm probably not the right person to do that but if you know a lot about that maybe you should start a podcast that would be cool uh thank you for taking the time to leave that five-star review and then we have one from nate august who writes, great listen, I've read and listened to the Audible of the Silmarillion several times over the decades, and this podcast helps tremendously on really wrapping your brain around the stories. Great podcast if you want to really understand what is happening in the stories of the Silmarillion. Well, thank you so much, Nate August, and a big shout out to everybody who has ever left a review or told the show, told their friends about the show, not told their show about their friends, because that would be weird, uh, and anything else you've done to help out. Thank you so much. All right, we've got to get back to our Farazon and this conflict with Sauron because this is some cool stuff. So don't go anywhere. So this part gets really cool like really cool i would love to see this in the show and i hope we get to see some representation of this and i'm trying to imagine how they're going to do it they would clearly have to have sauron in a guise that's different than what we saw in season one so they don't know it's the same person uh but this is how it plays out according to the silmarillion Great was the anger of Arpharazon at these tidings, and as he pondered long in secret, his heart was filled with the desire of power unbounded and the sole dominion of his will. And he determined without counsel of the Valar, or the aid of any wisdom but his own, that the title of king of men he would himself claim, and would compel Sauron to become his vassal and his servant. Sauron one of the most powerful Maya in the entire world, who has already done amazingly powerful and terrible things, would become his servant. That's how proud he has become at this point. For in his pride, he deemed it that no king should ever arise so mighty as to vie with the heir of Arendil. Therefore, he began in that time to smithy great horde of weapons and many ships of war he built and stored them with his arms. And when all was made ready, he himself set sail with his host into the east. Now you have to remember, this is not a king who has sat on a throne his entire life and lived in the palace. This is a king who has fought the enemy and conquered men in order for Numenor's dominion to carry over into Middle-earth already. He's been over there. He's been in conflicts. He has won battles. This guy is not the kind of guy you want to mess with. No matter how prideful he seems, he's got the metal to kind of back it up. The story goes on. 
And men saw his sails coming up out of the sunset, dyed as with scarlet and gleaming with red and gold. And fear fell upon the dwellers of the coasts, and they fled far away. That tells us something. The men, the people who lived on the coast were already afraid of the sea dwellers at this point. The Numenorians were not seen as being kind and helpful. They were conquerors, and these people knew it. It goes on and says, But the fleet came at last to that place that was called Umbar, that was the mighty haven of the Numenorians, that no hand had wrought. Umbar was a natural harbor. Empty and silent were all the lands about when the king of the sea marched upon Middle-earth. For seven days he journeyed with banner and trumpet, and he came to a hill, and he went up, and he set there his pavilion and his throne, and he sat him down in the midst of the land. And the tents of his host were ranged all about him, blue, golden, and white, as a field of tall flowers. Then he sent forth heralds, And he commanded Sauron to come before him and swear to him fealty. So get this picture. This is not an army lined up in rows for battle. This is a king claiming himself pridefully as the ruler of the land and setting up kind of like a throne room. An area surrounded by tents. This is a a place where people are now settled in. And he has a throne and a place amongst this like little mobile city. And then says, bring Sauron before me. And Sauron came. Even from his mighty tower of Beradur, he came and made no offer of battle. For he perceived that the power and majesty of the kings of the sea surpassed all rumor of them, so that he could not trust even the greatest of his servants to withstand them. And he saw not his time yet to work his will with the Dunedain. Sauron realizes the amount of power that the Numenorians have, realizes, he, he does the calculation here, and realizes that, He can't stand against them in open war. His soldiers will not be able to do it. So he changes his tactic. Quote, And he was crafty, well skilled to gain what he would by subtlety when force might not avail. Therefore, he humbled himself before our Pharazon and smoothed his tongue. And men wondered for all that he said seemed fair and wise. Sauron shows up, but does not come in war. He puts on a guise that makes him look wise, gentle, convincing. But our Pharazon was not yet deceived, and it came into his mind that, for the better keeping of Sauron and of his oaths of fealty, he should be brought to Numenor, there to dwell as a hostage for himself and all his servants in Middle-earth. To this Sauron assented as one constrained, yet in his secret thought he received it gladly, for it chimed indeed with his desire. And Sauron passed over the sea and looked upon the land of Numenor, 
and on the city of Armenolos in the days of its glory. And he was astounded, but his heart within was filled the more with envy and hate. This is the moment where the pride of Arpharazon is fooled. He thinks Sauron in this guise is someone that he can keep restrained in Numenor and that they will be safer if he's closer to them. But Arpharazon clearly does not understand the power that Sauron has over the minds of individuals. And there are some similarities here. Remember when Melkor was chained and brought back to Valinor? How'd that work out? Echoes of things in the past happening again. Next week, we're going to find out what happens. And I have a feeling you have an idea of how well this is going to go. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.